0: What is transgressive is not sex.
1: No, no, listen to me. I'm no problem with riots.
0: Falling in love is a problem.
1: I don't have to be helpful. Wait, Why do I have to be helpful? Look at our Priceless art collection and I think, what a great country. I'm
2: good,
1: it.
3: George Christensen is a cunt. Fact. And welcome to this week's Humidum. This week, Miriam Taylor is overseas in Bali and we are joined by guest host Brad Cass for this very special Mardi Gras week. Humidor and Brad Cass, welcome to the program. Tell us, how does Mardi Gras rate in your year?
2: Thank you, Pat. Um, Mardi Gras is a big occasion in my year. I don't know, we celebrate it every year. I've been in the parade, as you know, with yourself. Um, Where, when have we been in the parade together? We did. We were oh, it was about five years ago now. We were on this revolting, uh, revolting float somewhere, completely wasted, running up and down. It was a good time, but um, obviously celebrating the LGBT community. Have you been in a float since then? No, actually, you know, I've actually neglected to see the parade (laughs) since then, to be honest. So you've never actually seen it since then? You haven't been in a float or seen it? No, no. To me personally, it's a day where I can run around like an absolute fool and be myself and not so much be judged for it.
3: So I guess the question for me with Mardi Gras, and for me, Mardi Gras represents this vital, exciting, alive occasion where the streets of Sydney are just lit up with hundreds of thousands of
2: people. I do agree. It's a large, vibrant, ecstatic event where everybody comes together and is just having a blast. Absolutely. Are you a political person? Absolutely not. Well, okay. I think you are. I am. I am. I I just get very fired up.
3: Give the listener some background. This is Brad Cass, who is a scientist from the University of Newcastle. What kind of science
2: do you delve into? Um, Folks, mainly on marine science and environmental resource management. So how do you Uh, feel about
3: the Abbott government, when it was the Abbott government's position on
2: climate change? obviously absolutely appalling. Why? Just decisions that were made, especially wanting to put that trawl through the Great Barrier Reef, as is pretty much common knowledge at the moment. Reefs are in decline all over the world. Mm -hmm. And that policy that he wanted to push through, and I can't remember what the town was, there was a port. 50% more now of the world's reefs have gone. Reefs contain 25% of all species that live in the ocean, but they only take up 2% of the actual area in the ocean. Like, they're the rainforests of the ocean. They're the powerhouses, and the, and and he just, he had absolutely no, no qualms about destroying quite a large portion which we should be doing everything we can to stop the decline. I don't know, that made me exceedingly angry.
3: Okay, so given your political position, now I was actually explaining this to Waylon earlier today, that I'm happy to take the piss out of my side of politics, which is the Labor side of politics. Mm. And that's because when it comes to policy, I don't care what position the Labor Party takes. Most of the time it's informed by rationality. Yeah. And the Greens have these really great, ambitious policies. But they're yeah, we'll also. They will never see
2: the light of day. are
3: emotional policies mm. a lot of the time. And the Liberal Party is evil. And people don't seem to factor this into their calculus.
2: No. But the Liberal Party <laughs> is flat out evil. Absolutely no moral conscience. Because people and and ethical look Ethical responsibility. At- Environment
3: policy, climate change. Now, the Green uh, the Greens may agree with the science of climate change, but they don't agree with the science of vaccination, <laughs> chemtrails, you know? All mm. of these and, and, and fluoride in the water. Now these are ridiculous things to disagree with. They're happy to accept the science of climate change, but don't accept the science of these other things. Mm. The coalition's not prepared to accept the science of science. <laughs> I'm telling you I'm like adopt that
2: be a fucking acting, you must. <laughs> Go to the fucking bed.
1: <laughs> now
3: Roving political correspondent Vanaxis coming through Vanaxis, tell us how do you feel about Mardi Gras Which is the week of this episode of Humidum
0: Nauseated (laughs) And why is that Oh look you know what I mean I think that Cory Bernardi was right When he calls it a rampant uh, Like you know a rampant display of Poofterism I don't know that he actually said that I have seen that word in the media though And I must say poofterism is one of the Best words I have ever heard Why is that I quite like the the word poofta for a start it's very australian i know it's very offensive to a lot of older australians it, it's actually quite harsh but to me it, it's almost a ridiculous word and it's just so ocker you know so i can't help but vibrate to both the the australian undertone and the the ness of that word poffter yeah well cuz i am both
3: Darrow and uh, Porter. Mm-hmm. So Cass and I have been discussing, because <laughs> sans Miriam Taylor, who's overseas in Bali, Cass is the guest host of Humidum this week. And Cass and I have been discussing George Christensen, who not only is, he looks like Peter, Christ- uh, Peter Griffin, but he's also the biggest fuckwit in the LNP.
0: Now, uh, well, just let me say, he does not look like Peter Griffin because Peter Griffin actually has quite clear skin, Peter Griffin has quite bright eyes, and Peter Griffin can smile like a human being. No, what George Christensen looks like, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but you may remember a toy and infatuation of the 80s called the Garbage Pail Kids, (laughs) which were like the gross version of Cabbage Patch Dolls, and he absolutely looks like one of them. I mean that I, I was looking through it the other day, trying to find out the the acne guy that I think he looks like. And what I came across is, there's actually Donald Dump, is uh, is a garbage pail kid, and has been a garbage pail kid for many, many, many years. And I'm like, that is just so wonderful. So,
3: do you think that? Let's go off topic for a second because this week's episode is focusing on the Mardi Gras.
0: Oh well, now we can discuss Mardi Gras. I mean, I if it helps, I I think Mardi Gras is also disgusting. I mean, I think. The, you know, every year my new Mardi Gras takes more money from another source that I roll my eyes at and go, oh, like this year obviously the casino because of course, oh, no. oh. you know if you're in Sydney you're either taking money from the casino or the casino's taking money from you, and, um, and this year they are taking thirty thousand dollars and they're like yeah the casino and everyone's like yeah but you do you are aware that all of the money being brought in from Mardi Gras will be severely reduced because of the lockout and which of is a pl- applies to Mardi Gras and it's going to reduce crowd numbers and it's going to really fuck the international
3: crowd and New Mardi Gras is like, yeah, corporate fucking is so good. Well, that's how New Mardi Gras was with the Fox sponsorship and ANZ. Well, yeah, but I mean, ANZ at least they've embraced it with their banks. really gets brain. on board. And Branches. I mean,
0: ANZ is a bank and a successful bank, so obviously there's a level of plutocratic evil there, but I don't think, as far as corporate government governments go and Corporations go, ANZ is a far more wholesome organization than anything with the Murdoch brand associated with it. Yeah. And also, like, when they sold the telecast and it went off ABC, it has never recovered the viewer numbers that it once had. Well, and it Mardi Gras
3: al- used to be broadcast on... It has on- always yes.
0: been dog shit since then, you know, and it's had <laughs> a couple of brief preludes on, like, 7 and 10... You know, it had crap on SB. it. No, it'll ne- the telecast will never be good ever again.
3: But where are we at with the Liberal Party these days where we've got Malcolm Turnbull, who half of his electorate lies in the area that Mardi Gras catches in the actual parade? Liberal Party,
0: well, George Christensen's in the Nationals, of course. That the, is disgusting. The he is. But they, Labor exists for a reason, and that's to further, you know, the middle class. Mm. And to make sure the workers have rights and entitlements, you know, and it has always been about we rather than the I. The Greens obviously are there for a progress, for progressive policies, and for you know the environment, and that's their very clear mission statement. The Nationals are meant to exist to support the rural communities, and they're of course collapsing because that is no longer the case. The Liberal Party and its predecessors have only existed to oppose Labor. So that's that's the only thing that ties them all together. Hmm. So in Australia you have a Liberal Party which is very small L liberal all going home and reading their, you know, their Robert Stuart Mills and going, Oh, so wonderful <laughs> Um, you know, or their Milton Freeman and just going, Oh, this is just, you know this And then you got stupid. ones that are a bit more hardcore and they've got like, you know, f- posters of Iron Rand and stuff on the wall. But ironically those ones that are obsessed with Iron Rand are also obsessed with religion. So she would despise them as well because they're often tied down with with religion. And George Christensen I think is so useless as a human being. He looks like God spilled a person. <laughs> and he's just he's just so thoroughly gross inside and out. I mean I don't find him threatening at all. I mean I don't know why anyone would vote for him. I mean, I think it is a serious question for the people of Fraser. What are they doing? Because if that was my local MP, I mean, I would, there's no way I would vote for him. But they seem to like having a hick who is demonstrably wrong on countless issues all the time. Now, if you want to have your hard right religious positions, uh, fine, whatever. But he doesn't even necessarily seem to be that religious. He's just an absolute hick and a redneck.
3: Benaxis wrapping up our segment on Humidum right now. Who's the biggest piece of shit in the Liberal Party and why are they a piece of shit leading into Mardi Gras week?
0: Well, let's go with the biggest piece of shit this week is probably Cory Bernardi. And that's because, obviously, his way to suck up oxygen. Uh, and and unlike a lot of the other... like I mean, Erica Betts is obviously quite anti-gay, but... He doesn't really get many news. (laughs) He doesn't get much airtime because he's, like, listening to a broken clock (laughs) being waved.
3: Vinaxis, if you could deliver a one-word remark to right-wing critics of the Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras and the Safe Schools program, what is that one-word remark? Or two words? Cunts.
2: (laughs) Perfect.
0: And we always win. I mean, there's... At no point in history have the progressives not won and shifted the moral zeitgeist forward. We Absolutely. no longer have slaves. Women vote. Gays are allowed now. There is no, I mean, to be a conservative is to admit that you have always been on the losing side of history. I mean, it's an appalling ideology to have because I'm, of course, convinced that Corey Bernardi secretly fears the taste of dick is delicious.
3: Metaxas, thank you very much for your time this week. Die.
1: There is a recurring campaign. Pauline Hanson swanning about like uh, Banquo's ghost. The problem that
3: I see with this whole debate is that we have a lot of right-wing, heterosexual fuckwits. Two weeks out from Mardi Gras, telling gay people, don't you worry about it, bullying's not a real thing, and what you need is someone to tell you what regular sex looks like. Regular
2: sex looks like. How does that make you feel? It makes me... Quite sad, really. I mean... Sad or angry? <clears throat> or sad? Sad. Well, both. But you can you but, can be... Well, no, I'm, I'm ob- obviously angry and sad for the youth, especially the ones struggling with gender identity or same-sex attraction. Mm. When I was in school, obviously, there was nothing like this. And all I saw, I think the only real exposure to... Uh, I was, you know Homosexual life Well Somewhat of Was Will and Grace For example The television which show Which was really bad Which example. was rubbish Which is absolute rubbish mm-hmm. When it comes to Realism of Of that You know Cause um, we all wanna
3: be As camp as Jack And we all wanna be As hot <laughs> as Will <laughs> And we, we We all want a friend Like Karen Walker And guess what They don't exist They don't They don't But the, You think the, the, Miriam Taylor's that But she's just an abusive bitch She's a dog <laughs>
2: No, She's look, it's not guest starring episode, but no. she is listening. Fuck. I you, hope man. so. I hope so. Um, look, for me, it's just it's. I think it's so important to have that education there for these kids who don't have anything else to to look up to in this regard and say it's okay. It's okay that I find if I'm you know a homosexual man, I found another man attractive or a woman, or I I feel like I'm a woman trapped in a man's body or vice versa. There's, there was nothing when I was growing up in an educational setting that wasn't media or the internet that said no, 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 a figure of, uh, you know, of authority saying it's okay. There was nothing, and I think that if there is a chance for that to happen, then it will, you know, obviously reduce bullying because everybody will be aware and there'll be nothing to fear. Suicide rates, obviously, well, will have big, to,
3: that's a big thing. One in six gay children contemplate or commit suicide.
2: Yeah. Which is a ridiculous statistic, and it should never be like that. And it's this culture that we've created, and if we're trying to break that culture with these kind of policies, I think they're absolutely fantastic. And the fact that these dickheads want to... Well, they're
3: just a pack of cunts. Oh, they are. Absolute cunts. This is what annoys me. By all means, you're entitled to your opinion. But for fuck's sake, until you've been bullied for this, and I have to say that I've never been bullied for it.
2: Why aren't you lucky?
3: Well, you know why? Because I played the tactical game when I was in high school. Mm. And I shouldn't have to play the tactical fucking game.
2: No. Did you play the tactical game? No, I didn't. Did you get I bullied? I didn't. Um, somewhat, but... And that's what drives me up the wall. Mm.
3: That any child in an Australian school either has to play the tactical game or they get bullied. Mm. That's disgusting.
2: It's revolting. It is.
3: Like, on what grounds should a kid be bullied for their sexuality? They no. have no control of it.
2: It would. I liken it to them saying that racial bullying is okay. If they're saying that sexual identity and gender bullying is okay, it's absolutely not. It's repulsive. It's an uncompo- uncontrollable trait of a human being, and it's just—I don't know. I, I'm lost for words. I'm so appalled. <laughs> now that I've been to spotless dot on the spot, I'm going to log into heinous anus and see how plainest my anus is. Oh. It's only a light shade of
3: brown! Uh, oh here we go. We're coming live from...
1: Verdi's Louisa Miller
3: The intermission of Verdi's Louisa Miller
1: uh, so tonight is a special edition of what the fuck am I looking at, which includes what the fuck am I also listening to? Um, <laughs> the answer is a whole lot of fuckery. So I think with this uh, opera, I had expected. So the libretto has a lot of drama. So the words they're all like, "I'm going to kill myself," rage and grief. Oh, is the unnecessary sort of? Um, I'm going to
3: stab a knife through exactly, my breast, etc., etc. So. Et
1: but I feel like the score only brought the drama towards the very end of Act One. Okay. And when it did, it was amazing. But yeah. before that, the libretto was still, like, operating in 100% drama, but the score wasn't there. So yeah, it was just I kind did. of, like, inappropriately jaunty. <laughs> it was like, rage and grief overwhelm me. My honour as a soldier has been impugned. Dilly 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 <laughs>
3: But on a side note as well, I think uh, George was offering criticism
1: of... (laughs) So tonight we're seeing my least favourite tenor with the whole of um, the Opera Australia uh, cast. His name is Diego Torre. And one of my many problems with him, first of all, is that he looks like a toad and he doesn't have a neck, which I find offensive. Um, My other problem, which is more of a real problem and less of a hurtful personal remark, is that I've never seen an opera where there was any less than two women vying for his affections. Now, Pat- Which is
3: still the case. In this,
1: Pat, how many women do you think should be vying for this man's affections?
3: None. <laughs> <Interesting>. Nobody should. <laughs> I don't I mean they should all be going for. There's a character here called Warm, Verm,
1: which obviously which... I appreciate. And then there's a count who is clearly a badass and keeps smoking on stage <laughs> and threatening people with his extremely phallic sword, which obviously I appreciate. But Verm,
3: at the moment, is sort of occupying this this background role, which yeah, is sort look, of shady and intimidating. Seem, but...
1: Yeah, he's the Grand Vizier.
3: He's got some sort of yeah, he's the. Shh. Shady the farms. Jafar of the peace.
1: Yes. yes, he is. Alright, so let's... um. <clears throat> what have we just seen? Luisa is in love with a young man she knows as Carlo, but who is actually Rodolfo, son of the local Count Count Walter. Miller, Luisa's father, is dubious, and his fears are confirmed when Walter's retainer,
3: Verm, who also loves Luisa and hopes to marry her, <laughs> reveals Rodolfo's true identity. So,
1: I mean... Immediately, there are so many problems with I this. So plot. absurd that part of what I love is Louise's father. When it's revealed that like a rich count's son is in love with her, he's like rage and grief, and you're like, I'm sorry. The guy you thought was just some schmo is now a rich schmo. How is that a bad thing? Because
3: he's already disgusted by this young man, and he's like, Wait a minute, it's not
1: verm? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why are you interested in verm? That's what I I wanted you to be interested in all along. I wouldn't be interested in The Sun. I'd be interested in Count Badass, frankly. I'd be interested in Verm. (laughs) Well, I'm glad there's enough for both of us. And yet all of the women in the opera go for Toadface in a
3: suit. Gross Dolfo.
1: Look, from a, again, less personally hateful perspective, my issue with this is that for women to succeed in opera... They have to not only have this ridiculous set of pipes on them, but they have to also be gorgeous and they have to be actresses and blah, blah, blah. But all the male bloody, you know, the romantic lead with two women after him can get away with looking like a toad.
3: Maybe it's that hot men can't sing.
1: <laughs> well, I would beg to differ. Teddy Tahu Rhodes, who is very hot and a very good singer. I mean, there must be more of him out there, surely. And also his name is Teddy.
3: We'll come back to you after this intermission (laughs) finishes. So we've just got out (laughs) of
1: the longest (laughs) death scene in history. Um, It was a Verdi so it was always going to be pretty prolonged but my least favourite tenor did, in fact, milk it for all it was worth and slowly fall off a mirrored podium onto the rest of the stage like a poo rolling <laughs> on something. Would you agree And I enjoyed Yeah, I did, but I enjoyed that.
3: When the evil villain of the piece vorm, walked in.
1: And the whole choir just
3: went, <laughs> uh, Out of ten?
1: Uh, I mean go to the opera a lot, so my standards are quite high, so I'm going to give it 6. 6 out of 10, David. <laughs> Georgina McNeil, no, no, that's all you have to say. No,
3: no, no need to justify. <laughs> for them. I feel um, that
1: my savagery of Diego Torres should, you know, pretty much explain that score.
3: Alright, well, <laughs> Georgina McNeil, thank you for this episode of...
1: What the fuck am I both looking and listening at? <laughs> listening at? Maybe. We're looking
3: at (laughs) (laughs) Vogue.
0: And mixed with alcohol, we
3: turn into raging brutes. Distorting reality. So let's canvas this for a
2: second. What does the parade mean to you?
3: Gay people are some of the most interesting people in the
2: world. Oh, absolutely.
3: And the thing that I love about Mardi Gras, you have this massive diversity of people who have a uh, a wild outlook on life that you've just never encountered
2: before. Well, a lot of the older ones are, are older homosexuals as well. That Well, the 78 have
3: just got an apology from the New South Wales State Parliament for the fact that the police arrested them for protesting for gay rights back in 1978. I find that incredibly that powerful.
2: Is, I didn't actually know that, and and that's wonderful, it's, absolutely wonderful to hear.
3: The Mardi Gras Parade itself is both this celebration of...
2: It's breaking all those stereotypes. that There is no conventional faggot. I can't use that word, but you can use that I word. Can't. There's, and we'll use there's it. no it's a big celebration that celebrates all types of of in the, the LGBT community, which is absolutely fantastic. Because you know what? Not all faggots are tiny, pink wearing, flouncing, lip gloss wearing. I mean that's fine. If you are, go for your life. But there's All types. There's all types.
3: And the thing that gets me about Mardi Gras and what I love about Mardi Gras is that as much as I get frustrated by the superficiality of the gay community, which I experienced while I was at Fair Day and I'm like, why does everyone have to be so superficial? (laughs) There's one thing that I love about gay culture and that's drag. I love it. I think it's so
2: impressive. But it's an art form. It's entertainment. absolutely. And it's just. Does it get a yass from you? Yes, it does. <laughs> it does indeed. I think it's just... I mean, I don't know how many drag shows you've been to. Quite pack. a lot. Quite a, a lot, yes. <laughs> um, I recently went to some of the RuPaul drag queens wow. um, shows. Uh, Alaska, Thunderfuck. Um, Courtney Act was in it, but she was just... Riposte. Courtney Act. The oh. problem. Is,
3: I feel like Courtney Act... The problem I have with Courtney Act is that Courtney Act plays up to a concept of drag, which is that you are supposed to be... Uh, A woman.
2: Which is why it's so funny seeing her on stage with Alaska Thunderfuck. If anybody listening knows who she is, she is a horse-like, disgusting, seven-foot-five man in six wigs with nails about 30 centimetres long. I love it. It's re- it's just... It's so revolting. It's amazing. The thing
3: about drag and the thing about camp... It's entertaining. ...that makes it so good is that it exaggerates reality to this insane degree. And I love that. That's mm. something that gay culture does. It reflects back on people this uh, incredibly hyperactive reality,
2: you know. But over history, there's been so much oppression and there's been so much... All gay culture had to be hidden and... It was taboo and talking decades and decades. Let me throw your mind back
3: now to the original Stonewall riots. So one of the the last, for the listener who's not familiar with the Sydney gay scene, there are what, three, four big clubs that everyone goes to? The two biggies, yeah. the two biggies are Ark and Stonewall. Mm. So mm. every gay man has his formative experiences, I'd say, at Ark and Stonewall. Yeah. Did you have your formative experience?
2: Oh. Absolutely. Um, Stonewall
3: first or Ark?
2: No, Ark first, actually. Really? Actually, yeah. My first, Ark first was Stonewall. Well, Stonewall, um, I've actually been to more than Ark, but Ark was thrown in the deep end straight into the muck. Because Stonewall is cheesy old gay. It is. It is. And, and that, was um, the you know place, that was
3: the first place I had a pill. <laughs> and this club was so fun, and the music was so good. And Stonewall's not the same anymore because. We're older. I don't do drugs. Mm. It's a different place, but it's still Stonewall, an arc which is where you had your first gay experience. Well, that's often a, a more intense gay experience than Stonewall.
2: It was quite intense. I mean, I um, obviously I went there when I was eighteen, so I had never really I'd been to some clubs before during school years up in the surface Paradise. You'd never
3: been on the Central
2: Coast. No, no. Um, gladly, I, used I didn't it, I actually cash chicks. Oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I um, no, I didn't actually go out on the central coast until I was about twenty, twenty-two or twenty-three. You lucky boy. And and I ran, I ran. Um, no, but Arc for me was eye-opening. Yeah, because it is so. It is probably the place to be. Late night, dark room pumping music
3: especially in sydney
2: oh it's the it's that one club where you don't go to talk to anyone you don't have a nice conversation over a cocktail and at, at arc
3: unless you're in trash alley
2: yes but they're not nice conversations over cocktails well <laughs> they're filthy conversations with drag queens with too many cigarettes
3: so thank you for a second uh we have a lot of we have a listener mm. we have one listener
2: and let's face it, they've been in the slums of Ark.
3: And the sound you just heard was Cass putting down his wine glass.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think I need a refill.
1: <laughs> I never explain anything.
2: I You're doubt not many there. of my colleagues spend a lot of time yeah. with you,
1: Sophie.
3: <laughs> Here we are, deep in the undergrowth, surrounded by lesbian hair, bear hair, deep nestled in.
0: What can we see around us? The various gay tribes.
1: <laughs> What have we got? <laughs> I'm looking. <laughs> I can't see it. Fede
3: is essentially gay UN studying studying <laughs> study cultural anthropology. And I actually made this point um, as we were walking in. I don't know what it is about gay culture that some of it I love. Drag, I love. I yes, absolutely love it. I love. It. Twinks, I love. But a lot of the superficiality just gets up my nose. What about Furries. What do you think about fairies? I haven't encountered them enough to make a... Well, they're here. To have they're an opinion. They're here Fair Day. They're
0: <laughs> here at Fair Day. Flesh <laughs> eating zombies.
3: Oh, it! Disgusting, Demonic Never ending. It's just like the whole... Gina's hole. We're going to bring this episode of Humidorm to a close. Uh, your final comments, what is it like to grow up as a gay man on the Central Coast?
2: For me personally, it was... Um, it was a good experience initially. But I think that sexual orientation in gay people and it, it needs to be more widely accepted in that area. I, for example, when I had um, my first boyfriends as a teenager, um, I was holding hands at Erin Affair um, and I got verbally abused by filthy, toothless centrelink grubbing bogans and I think and now as an adult, if I hold hands with my boyfriend here along Oxford Street or through Sydney, I don't get that abuse. I don't get all the stares. It, it it was more difficult than it would have been growing up in a big city, maybe like Sydney or Melbourne, because it is a smaller... Things that change
3: in the world, people become more tolerant of things. But one thing I've never been able to understand about conservative people, and this is the case with George Christensen, with Cory Bernardi, If someone wants to live their life a certain way or love a person the way they love a person, I've never been able to understand why they have a problem with it. Absolutely
2: not. I don't get it. Like, if someone wants to do what, that's their business. Do you think it's the the lack of knowledge around it or or being brought up with the hate themselves when they were children? Or it's that these people grow up and they're a piece of shit. (laughs) Absolutely. I think they're a piece piece of of shit. shit. Mm. Couldn't agree
3: with you more, Pat. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely.
2: There is no... If you
3: have a problem with the way somebody else lives their life, you aren't Australian. Because I feel like some fundamental part of the Australian character, in theory, is that you're supposed to not care. Like, you're laid back. If you care whether someone dates a man or a woman or has sex with whoever they have sex with, that's none of your fucking business. It doesn't affect them. It doesn't affect you. And the only reason it could affect a person like Cory Bernardi or George Christensen is if they're a weak piece of shit. Which they are. They are. Obviously. They're pieces of shit. And for me, what Mardi Gras represents is the victory of gay people over uh, pieces
2: of shit. Pieces of shit. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, them. me too.
3: Bradcast, thank you for this episode of Humidum.
2: It's been an absolute pleasure. Pat. Thank you.